Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Jake Cantor, sitting in for Ollie Mann. On today's show, John Whittingdale reveals his white paper on the next 11 years for the BBC. With arguments over independence, regulation and star salaries brewing, we discuss a historic moment for the corporation. Plus, the new day closes, the independent makes its first profits in a decade, Robert Peston plays Consequences and we play a media quiz to end all media quizzes. That's all to come on today's Media Podcast. And joining me on a sunny Friday morning at the Hospital Club is media writer Maggie Brown and the director of the Edinburgh International Television Festival, Lisa Campbell. Hello, guys. Hello. Hello. Lisa, it's been a a busy week for you, uh, away from the BBC, hasn't it? It has, yes. We had our our big launch this week and we announced our McTaggart speaker. So, very exciting. It is the founder and CEO of Vice Media, Shane Smith. That's a great booking, I think. Yeah, I'm, I hope so. I think, uh, it, you know, it's a fascinating brand. I mean, it's gone from an, an obscure sort of alternative magazine to a global media powerhouse, really, in the space of two decades. So it's a fascinating story about the brand. I think there'll be lots of interesting stuff to talk about in terms of its journalism, advertising, revenue, distribution, how it's now actually getting into bed with the TV world. So it'll be weeks before the launch of Viceland in the UK. So I think, you know, he'll, he'll certainly be provocative, generating headlines probably yes I mean he's I think his quote was something like this year will be a bloodbath um so uh he I mean I think a recent event he went on stage and lay down and joined a band joined him and sang and that kind of thing I'm hoping he won't do that (laughs) (laughs) so you didn't think that you didn't think Kevin Ligo should have done it this year what did the old guard at the uh, uh, television festival think well Kevin Ligo will be there anyway because of course the famous controller sessions do you know, invite all of those channel bosses. So we'll be getting his vision for ITV and, you know, and, and his plans with his new team. And also we have the leaders debate and that's where we have all the channel bosses from the various channels talking about the big picture stuff. So we'll have two doses of Kevin as it is. <laughs> There's a bit of an obsession with Vice at the moment in the, in the broadcasting industry. Do you, do you feel that, Maggie? Well, I think it's really good because it's a new entrant. And I also think that they go to places that um, often the conventional media are either a bit too scared to go to or because it has a different perspective. It isn't actually doing current affairs or news or whatever we want to call it from uh, the perspective of just one country. And I think that that makes a difference. And it's captured young people's imagination. Yeah, I think too. that's the really interesting thing, isn't it? It's the way they've targeted and, and retained mm. millennials. And that is the, another big challenge for the, for the big media players here. But they'll have to work within the constraints of 
Ofcom's impartiality rules on TV, won't they? So that will be interesting to see how they tackle that. It will, yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's move on to the big story of the week and really the biggest story of the past year. It's the BBC's charter renewal. As expected, most of the extreme policy suggestions have evaporated, uh, but the white paper John Whittingdale revealed on Thursday is not lightweight. Uh, The BBC Trust will be binned in favour of a new unitary board and Ofcom regulation. More on that in a moment. There are also changes to iPlayer's remit. BBC Studios was given the green light. Top talent will have to reveal their pay. And the DCMS has found £60 million down the back of the sofa for more kids and arts programmes. Guys, I wondered if I could just get your initial reaction. Good or bad for the BBC, this white paper? Maggie? Well, it's basically good because the BBC has an assured 11-year term, not 10 years, and I'm long, I'm long enough in the tooth to remember times when people wanted even shorter charters than, than 10 years. So this is a good outcome if the BBC is talking about survival. It also has an index linking uh, licence fee. Now, that doesn't mean very much at the moment because uh, we ha- hardly have any inflation. In fact, we're almost in deflationary times. But nonetheless, it has the knowledge that the licence fee will no longer be frozen, which it has been since 2010. Plus, it also has the additional household growth that we're obviously going to have and continue having because our population is growing so much. So on those fronts, which are the crucial, how the BBC will look at the world, do we have the money? Is the licence fee continuing? It's even going to still be a criminal offence not to pay. Have we got an assured term? They're home and dry. But there are a lot of details in here which include a whole new licensing regime for the BBC. Now, Ofcom is a well-regarded regulator, but it does not have the competence at the moment to regulate the BBC. So the whole regime is going to have to be rethought. Now, we know that that was going to be the case because the, the current system has been shown to be very, very faulty. And if all of the things work out and the new regime stops a lot of the abuses, that will actually be good for the BBC. If a lot of the changes proposed, including very radical ones about the whole of the BBC's commissioning, £780 million of uh, in-house production being up for grabs. If all of those things happen beneficially, then the BBC may be in a very strong position. And you've mentioned, and I mean, there's masses of things to talk about. There's so the, much the, to go The, I, the <laughs> iPlayer closures, so I won't yeah. go on and on. If everything works out, uh, the BBC is in an extremely strong position. Uh, but there are an awful lot of question marks that were raised. I, I sat down and I read the whole thing yesterday and I found myself... 132 very, pages. I did. That's dedication. And, well, because I thought, you know, obviously I'm coming here and why should people listen to me if I haven't done my homework? <laughs> but, I mean, there were moments when I gasped, for example, Ofcom will be able to fine the BBC if it doesn't actually adhere to its licence uh, agreements. And I thought, goodness me, you know, if it doesn't do what, enough... Uh, but, the, but Ofcom program. has the power to find all broadcasters currently. I know, but when you but, actually see very, it in very, cold, very when you see it in cold, I understand that, but yeah. it has done that. Remember, over the abuses of, uh, of phone voting uh, for for big shows. So I, I, I don't, I don't think that it's. it's it, you should, you, I'm, what I'm trying to say is that when you actually see it in a white paper that you can find the BBC Ofcom, I kind of thought, wow, you know, really, it's uh, been a fascinating week, though, hasn't it? Because it, it was like this great drama, un- unfolding drama with a you know villain as the central character of a you know villainous politician and and you know this kind of idea of 
something dreadful was going to happen. And, you know, as, as Whittingdale then described it, it was, you know, hysterical speculation by left-wing lovies. So, that, so the whole thing kind of ended in a bit of a... Uh, he enjoyed a, that moment in Parliament, didn't he? he? You could see the satisfaction it, on his face. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, after this sort of great unfolding drama that, and, you know, and, and talent getting involved in everything, it then felt like a bit of a dull ending to the drama with... Um, but probably this time a dull ending that everyone wanted. They didn't really want the, the radical proposals, the, you know, the sh- huge shrinking of the BBC and size and scope. So it, it was probably the best ending we could have had in Not a lot of ways. Not quite the so denouement of Dr Foster then. No, no. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, so that sounds like it's a win for the BBC. But I do think, you know, as Maggie says, there are still major areas of concern. I think, I think the Ofcom point is a good one. Um, you know, the fact that the BBC Trust was more of a watchdog and it was it was very much from the perspective of, of the public and, and does this deliver public value, whereas Ofcom's role is much more about the market and the commercial impact. So, you know, is, does that mean the priorities are going to be what's the impact on Sky, what's the impact on ITV? So, you know, that's that's something, I think, of concern. Of course, concern, you see, if it works, it will actually benefit the BBC. It, there is this side of me which just doesn't know. If the BBC can be more focused in what is a rapidly changing world, I mean, you've just talked about the McTaggart lecture, being from Vice. I mean, you know, 10 years ago that would have didn't exist. It would not have happened. So if the BBC emerges from this in a stronger position, even maybe with the National Audit Office doing... I, I know this is a bone of contention. It's going to be given over. Well, this is one of the, the, the things that yes. they believe will threaten the independence. But, 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 I, but actually, having read National Audit Office reports in the past, not all of them uh, getting a lot of publicity. For example, they did a very good report on how the BBC ran, ran its soaps and continuing dramas and came out with, with a virtually glowing report that it was all done incredibly efficiently. Yes, so it already does so all these kind of market reports. Things, but they don't have so. unfettered access to the but, BBC. But, exactly. but, but what I'm saying is that this is this is the other side of this, that if it stops the, the kind of digital media initiative costing £100 million, if it stops utterly wrong payoffs, if it stops those kind of, of abuses, then it's actually in everyone's interest that this should happen, including the BBC, if there is something wrong with its regular... Yeah, so, what, so, what about, so what about the board? I mean, the BBC believes that some of the proposals that well, I tell you what are, I are think. a bit more insidious, I tell you what they, I th- than, than they look I tell you paper. what I really think. I think Whittingdale did such a, a ham-fisted job over this whole uh, thing that nobody, re- including Channel 4, which we'll come on to, nobody really trusts him anymore. I think he's got a real problem of trust. So when this white paper comes out, instead Instead of people saying, yes, we know that the trust doesn't work, we know there has to be a new body, they, they immediately assume the very worst is, is being planned. And I can't really give very much benefit of the doubt to anything that comes out of, 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 of that department. So I actually hear what the Kosminskiers and the BBC are saying about this. And I would prefer, yes, there to be an absolutely independent BBC board because uh, because it isn't the same as the trust. It is a, a new body, and it really does have to be. It will be closer to editorial. It will than be the closer. Trust is at the be, well, they're, they're, they're going to have a real problem structuring all of this, but it will be. And what we need to know is that the BBC is not a state broadcaster; it is an independent broadcaster. And some of the some of the bigger issues like talent pay. The suggestion is, uh, in in reports and briefings that we've had, is that David Cameron and Downing Street has intervened on many of the big issues, and actually 
helped create this more even-handed report that we have yesterday. Yeah, I, th- do, I think. Do you think that that that's that's worked in the BBC's favour? Yeah, definitely. And I, th- I think changing. It, it, I think the speculation was that talent pay would be published at the level of 150,000 and that's moved up to 450,000 which I think is, I think they're is saying there's about 10 stars that fall into that bracket I mean yeah. we could probably have a guess at who they are we, yeah, already we could and I think I think the press already have I think Chris those, Evans uh, Chris Evans has Gary already Lineker, yeah. yes he's already identified himself yeah. <laughs> um yes yeah, so, Graham Norton yeah surely Fiona Bruce Dimbleby I mean we could go on yeah. couldn't we? <laughs> <laughs> you know just going back to the NAO point I, you know I do think there are concerns around the independence and how we're just going to you know assure that really because the NAO reports to MPs on the you know the National Audit Committee so is this going to be a sort of you know finance and audit committee is is a kind of a government department then with you know for the BBC and so therefore any kind of creative risk taking or sort of you know big changes that the BBC wants to do could be then seen as a waste of money I mean I agree with Maggie's point completely there's been incredible awful examples of waste amongst you know in the BBC I think there's you know and EastEnders and going clear sight as well that's yeah, the whole thing yeah. about the payoffs it's and not it's still going they on were you hidden. know with EastEnders um, you yeah. know that's the whole um, redesign of the, of the set yeah, and everything's I mean, been delayed yeah that was an NAO report this week three yeah. years well well sorry more than two years behind schedule mm. so you know clearly there are problems in it and that, that needs to be looked at but if uh, you know Whittingdale has gone on so much about distinctiveness and if you've then got a government department essentially saying, oh, no, you know, the bean counting, and that's going to be a waste of money. I mean, really, how can you then deliver this, this creative risk-taking and distinctiveness that he's really stressing? And a couple of big wins for lobbying groups in the industry. <laughs> uh, contestable funding. Uh, kids campaigners have been asking that for that for a long time. A, a, an additional pot of money that commercial broadcasters could potentially dip into. And, of course, BBC Studios, where the BBC has been asked now to drop all commissioning quotas for in-house? Well, there's three things, really. I mean, the most striking is actually this £8 million a year being devoted to creating 150 jobs for local media journalists, which the uh, newspaper publishers, the NMA, have been able to land. I find that pretty incredible, really. I knew that something of that order was happening, but when you actually see it in cold print, and it's going to be based in Birmingham, and they're going to be fanning out across all the different courts and local authorities in the country and providing some kind of central resource that newspapers can access. I found that really interesting. On the contestable... Are you prepared f- to share your theory on that? Uh, <laughs> well, my theory is that um, Ashley Highfield, who runs um, the Johnston Press, was one of the advisors to Whittingdale on this whole white paper. And, of course, before that, he worked at the BBC running its uh, new technology uh, wing. So um, I think he was extremely well-placed on that one. <laughs> Having said that, I mean, it has been something that James Harding has conceded way back in September. But it it's, it's an area, if, you, if those of us who remember our history, over the past 10 years, uh, the, the, the BBC wanted to move into ultra-local television and provide a kind of service somewhat like this, uh, which, if they'd been clever and they boosted their local radio stations with extra staff, they could have probably got away with us as a website, but they had to do it in their own sort of inimitable way. It was even run from Birmingham. Uh, the, 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 tru- the new trust intervened and stopped it dead. But now it's kind of come back, but in a different iteration because of the democratic deficit. And so on the one hand, it is a form of, it's not top slicing because it's within the BBC's control, but it is a form of 
diverting funds away from the central business, I would say, of it being a broadcaster. The, on, on the contestable funding, it's a, it's a very small amount. Um, 20 million a year? Yeah, well, it's a relatively That's small amount. It, uh, it's only for three years. In the context remember. of the BBC's content yeah. budget, yes. And uh, it's money that's already there because it was taken uh, from previous attempts uh, under the last uh, charter agreement to, to pay for extra things. What I don't understand, I am, I am all in favour of uh, extra funds for children's television, most certainly, and for arts for that matter. And I would add in religion too, which I think has been deeply, deeply uh, ignored by certainly commercial uh, broadcasters, uh, public service broadcasters. Uh, what I don't know is if it's all very well if you're a children's television maker accessing the money so so where will the programs be broadcast are they going to be extra programs on cbbc or cbb's are they going to be on channel four are they going to be on citv i mean i know they're inventive people out there and they'll find a way but you do have to ask yourself where are the slots for these programs or is it just a kind of uh, a subsidy i actually hate subsidies like this I, I i've never really liked the contestable funding i don't like it in real life because what you find is loads of people just trying to target funds you know give me some money and it, it would be far it's better also who's done. overseeing it isn't and it and who's, who's making those decisions big so. questions yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and lisa finally a word on bbc studios Oh, gosh, well... <laughs> <laughs> that's small subject. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been waved through, hasn't yeah. it? It's it has, been, it's, been, it's that, been that, that's through. good news. Yeah, yeah. The idea that the BBC will, will be able to produce for anybody now and that producers will be able to compete for the big brands uh, to produce EastEnders and, and you know, long-running series... I think there are still so many question marks around BBC Studios. I mean, it hasn't got off to a good start with a you know talent exodus. Lots of questions around: is it is it going to be nimble enough and, and flexible enough? It, you know, will it be able to compete as it should? I mean, it should ideally become a big creative powerhouse globally. You know, producing for people all over, all different broadcasters. But then, if it does, if it fails to, then it will. What the BBC will just end up producing news and current affairs. I think that's a really bad thing. Everybody else is getting into their own content production. Look at ITV Studios buying everything that moves. Vice has its own in-house production. BuzzFeed, everybody, it's, it's all about you owning the content and you owning the rights. And I just worry about that long-term future for studios really and also for the smaller independents because I think yeah great thing if you're wall-to-wall and you can bid for EastEnders but for smaller indies that's just more competition in the market for the for the smaller channels. Okay and uh, on a quieter week this may well have led the show uh, but Channel 4 published its annual report this week which is uh, always an interesting read. Maggie what what do you make of where Channel 4 is at the moment? Well, as somebody who wrote the history of Channel 4, the story of Channel 4, a licence to be different, and having seen all of the previous five administrations in operation and having studied the track records, I would say that the current one is the best one. It's done very well. It it wasn't necessarily going to be the case. I mean, they had to fill this huge gap, as we can now see, in their finances and in their programming, uh, left by the exit of Big Brother. But it has turned into a successful creative renewal, in my opinion. Record th- revenues, record content spend. Yeah, it isn't just that, though. I mean, the actual... Uh, I, I, there are nights when you can look at the schedule and you think, well, where's the public service broadcasting? But there are other nights when, oh, my God, is it really there? And so uh, on a, n- a huge number of fronts, and, and as I say, this, this wasn't preordained when the current regime came in and I'm not in their pockets, I'm just observing but since 2010 it's been a rocky road 
but I think that they have they have really done extremely well in very testing circumstances. Well, on those testing circumstances, obviously the threat of privatisation has been sort of hanging in the air since last year. Uh, a report in the Telegraph this week that uh, that plan has been dropped yes. and uh, the government is assessing other options, including part privatisation, potentially moving Channel 4 to Birmingham and selling its HQ on uh, Horseferry Road. What do you make of some of these proposals doing the rounds? Well, I, I'm very glad that the privatisation option has been dropped because uh, the, the key thing about privatisation, if it's a genuine one, if, if it's done according to the rules, is that an operation is being run badly and it can be improved by the input of uh, a, a properly focused commercial owners. Now, Channel 4 isn't a basket case. It could have been, but it is not a basket case. It's actually... Uh, increasing its cushion of, uh, of, of cash to, to see it through tough times. It's not making any call on the public purse, apart from, of course, having uh, free uh, slots and, and airtime. The chairman, Charles Gurassa, said it very well at the annual press conference, and he said that it was actually delivering well over half a billion pounds of money a year into the creative sector from private sources this can only be a good thing so I think they've had a very good year I'm not surprised that the privatisation has gone away because that it very hasn't really because it's part privatisation oh, yes. is now is now, now on look, the agenda now so what does that mean as a, a yes, inevitable privatisation at can some I just point say, we have look, no facts at the moment no, I, tell you, I tell you exactly what I think if PAC, the independent producers can move from getting extra uh, access to BBC uh, airtime to actually supplying the whole thing, then a pact are going to lobby ferociously against any kind of mucking around with this great patron that they've got there, which which has served them all very, very well. I would well. say the pact have been extremely quiet on this issue. They have, because they, there's they, they been have, a falling out. They but, have a beef in terms of trade. I know. But what I love about the, this story the, that just came out of the blue yeah. is that is the Channel 4 moved to Birmingham, and it seems, you know, Birmingham is the place to be these days, isn't it? You've well, got with BBC Three BBC going there three, as well. BBC Three, and then Bauer buying the Orion Group. It's all about, you know, the, the growth of the Midlands. So, uh, yeah, well, and, I mean, and the um, local been, news. Indeed. Well, there's quite rightly, in my opinion, been an outrage uh, feeling in Birmingham that they have been completely slaughtered in favour of, of Manchester and, and Salford. And, I mean, I'm somebody who trained on the Birmingham Post and Mail and uh, I think Birmingham is an absolute powerhouse. And I, I don't think it would particularly harm Channel 4 if it did have to go to Birmingham. At the same time, I don't, I don't see why... The, many staff see, would yeah, feel that I way. Say, no, could you I, see many of the top no, I mean, look what happened with the move. BBC and, you, you know... Yes, but it's But the point is, I don't actually think any government has the right to behave like the Roman Empire, you know, and just order a television station to go to uh, a city outside of London. What I do think is interesting is that social mobility seems to have just completely disappeared off, off the agenda. Uh, it's all about the BAME and, and uh, 50% of women um, being on screen. You know, there was a report out this week saying that white working class boys were, were not going to university. They're outnumbered by women. And so I do think that that's, that's something that's just completely a, a huge issue and is not being addressed at all. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. As an impartial stand-in host, I'm duty-bound to tell you, dear listener, how important it is that you support this podcast. There's a few ways you can do this. If money is tight, and in this freelance media world that's entirely possible, then all this podcast asks you to do is write a review on our iTunes page, telling curious souls why they should listen. Just search iTunes and The Media Podcast, all one word, and leave us a review. Of course, if you're one of those freelancers that has a particularly flush month, you can show your support by donating some of that bonus to making an episode of this show that you're getting for free. Your cash is the only way we can keep the quality high and the output regular. And if you're one of those rare beasts these days with a permanent contract, a salary, firstly, well done. But how wonderful it would be if you could also help us on a more regular basis. Go to themediapodcast.com forward slash dedicate and take out a monthly subscription. That's themediapodcast.com forward slash dedicate. Thanks. Now back to the show. Uh, Okay, let's tackle some other stories in brief this week. Just nine weeks after its launch, Trinity Mirror's New Day has folded. Uh, It aimed for a circulation of 200,000, but at its end had just 40,000, and that was after £50 million was spent on marketing by its parent company. What went wrong, Maggie? Well, it just wasn't... It wasn't needed. There wasn't a market gap. Nobody wanted to buy it. It didn't have anything particularly distinguishing to say. Well, it was incredible to decide to produce a newspaper for people who don't like newspapers and, and just you know, <laughs> do some market research and go, oh, OK, well, let's let's do that. No one wants it. Um, but, but it just came out of 
nowhere and then disappeared equally quickly. I think if they'd done a sort of much bigger, longer, noisier launch period, perhaps it would have had more of a chance. But, you know, just pulling the plug on it so quickly, I think it's really sad. Was it a bit worthy? That's what I thought. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, and also no sports news. It was um, aimed you at didn't women. get the results, it was did aimed you? aimed at working women. Well, the yeah. fact that you had the Leicester City win and, yeah. and because of their deadlines, they weren't able mm. to put that on the front page. I mean, it just looked ridiculous. You know, mm. if it's a newspaper without the news mm. you want, really. Well, it's a good experiment, really. And yeah. in a way, it's a kind of neat... You can dovetail it, really, with The Independent actually appearing to do relatively well as, as, as a broadsheet online on that point uh, it's almost like you were reading my script maggie <laughs> the independent has doubled its headcount at its news site to 90 uh, that's after 100 staff lowering, uh, left following the closure of the print edition uh, and one more stat editor christian brolton uh, told press gazette that over 10,000 people are paying 12.99 a month for their digital edition twice the number who subscribe to the newspaper what's going right lisa I mean, I think all those figures are really encouraging. You know, dub- doubling the staff, they've, they've had, what have they doubled the downloads as well for the app? You know, it's, it's a really positive step. I mean, I'm, you know, it's very sad to see the end of, uh, you know, the print edition as we did. But, of course, it's just going to be t- dependent on the profitability. And we know that online advertising isn't attracting the same kind of revenue as, as print did. Um, so, we, you know, they're just saying, you know, it's, it's doing well on that front, but we don't have the numbers. And I think it's really too early to say until we actually know what kind of the so revenue situation is. you're not break, breaking out the bunting just yet, Maggie? I'm not, no, but but I'm, I'm hopeful. And they've got a few of their star columnists still, haven't Absolutely, they? Absolutely, all the big names are there, and some of them are extremely good. I mean, they have actually... I mean, this is a worrying thing, in a way, that uh, newspapers have really had these huge ranks of sort of sub-editors and rather unknown people getting the paper ready and doing all the things you have to do. And actually, if you can boil it down to a much simpler organisation, if you just go online, but you have to keep your star names, you've got things to say. And remember, they all have quite strong opinions... You know, they're, they're, they're yeah, I think they've got a great lineup of columnists, and I think it's really mm. encouraging that they've they've mm. retained those. And they're, they're mm. you know, Robert Fisk and Grace Dent exactly. and Hamish McRae. People people bought the paper for for certain people, and Hamish yeah. McRae is an extremely so uh, presumably people will go to the website for the same people. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to the big radio story this week, uh, which is that Bauer has bought Midlands Network Orion. Uh, Orion was formed when Global was forced to sell stations including Wyvern, Beacon and BRMB back in 2009. They became Free Radio. Uh, the deal means the second largest commercial radio network in the UK gets that little bit bigger. Maggie? Well, I mean, I was in Birmingham when BRMB started, and I have a huge affection for it. And, of course, you're really talking here about the key uh, commercial stations for the East and the West Midlands. And uh, I also, of course, travel through uh, the Midlands because I live in Wales some of the time, in mid-Wales. And uh, I I think it's... Well, I I just don't know what Bauer will do to them, but I would love to see the BRMB brand uh, revive because it really had a resonance in... In, in, in the West Midlands but I, I, as it stands it looks like as you say one not quite so big radio group buys um, a tiddler and gets a bit bigger but well, I it, hope it's it will more have than that. a listening share of 34% commercial radio anyway good start yeah <laughs> <laughs> and more good news for Birmingham <laughs> Exactly, yes. So, you, you you know, we might have Channel 4 in Birmingham, uh, local news in Birmingham. Let's just Radio all move to Birmingham. I think we'll we should. Do a, we'll do a media podcast special in Birmingham, though. <laughs> well, when the high-speed train comes, remember, you'll yeah. be there in only a few minutes. Well, it, I mean, it's supposed to be an amazing location for creative startups and digital startups, isn't it? it it's, it's kind of, you know, what Shoreditch was 
five years ago or something. So, yeah, I mean, you know, we joke about it, but actually, I saw move to Birmingham. <laughs> <laughs> OK, on to ITV now. And you may have seen that Robert Peston launched a new Sunday morning show this week. Lisa, did you watch it? I did. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, loved, I loved the way he started, uh, where, you know, he, he's like, welcome to the new show, and yes, I am bleeding nervous. You know, and it I was thought, good. I it was. was nice I, I like the fact he did that. He was self-deprecating, because, of course, he was so brash and annoying when he said he was going to humiliate the BBC when he first moved over to ITV. So um, I was quite, quite glad to see a sort of about turn there. But, um, I mean... You know the ra- the ratings have been terrible, haven't they? And he was he was even sixty thousand viewers, which is a tenth of the Andrew Marr show. Yes, and also that a repeat of Jeremy Kyle got sort of double that, didn't it? Straight afterwards, because they blamed the hot weather, but you know a repeat of Jeremy Kyle got everyone back inside. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, overall, it's good. ITV is going back to su- Sunday morning. It should be applauded, uh, it, I think. It, yeah. it should be. I mean, you know, this was where weekend world, well, admittedly later in the morning, uh, used to used to have its home. And they've had various attempts with Jonathan Dimbleby. Heston is a must-watch, and I, I, of course, it's going to be struggling hugely. But I would say good on ITV, and I hope it. I hope they they, they stick with it. Heston yeah, will make them do. You've got it. to give the things yeah. the time to grow and to really establish themselves and get you know and get that right tone and everything. But you know, I, I quite like it. Was liked pretty confident. It. Yeah, I, felt. I think and so. Allegra Stratton with Screeny McScreenface yeah. was very good. Yeah, I thought she went well. It'll be all about the bookings. Uh, who who will come on the show? Yeah. Well, they've yeah. got uh, Jeremy Corbyn this week. Well, that's what uh, Robert Peston said at the end of last yeah. week's show. So. And they, of course, they had terrible technical problems, apparently, as well, which um, I'm sure was horrendous for them at the time with the live show. And they had no running order on screen and they couldn't contact the presenter. They, you know, they couldn't do the talk back. So actually, hats off to them, you know. Mm. Uh, and what do we make of this controversy around the ITV European referendum debate? So after hearing Nigel Farage was invited on to lock horns with David Cameron. Uh, the official out campaign vote leave was up in arms that one of its own prominent supporters wasn't selected for the I show. I think they should just shut up and let <laughs> ITV get on with it, you know? It's up to them if the, who they choose to book and if the people wish to be booked, then let them do it. You know, we're not some sort of... Uh, they shouldn't be such control freaks. This is partly why they're, they're having problems cutting through. And the Vote Leave campaign sent this sort of bizarre email claiming that there will be consequences in the future for ITV. Which is bizarre. What on earth did they mean by that? I, I think, I mean, they're just crazy. Do we think they? that was signed off by Gove and Boris Johnson and Kate? <laughs> yeah. I, can't see, I can't see Boris Johnson. I'm, I'm kind of scared to say anything in case I get consequences as a result. <laughs> yeah. Okay, before we go, there's just time for our media quiz. Oh, no. <laughs> That wasn't at all forced. (laughs) Uh, This week entitled Twitter Tease. Uh, In a totally original idea, uh, we have gathered three genuine tweets from media people talking about a news story. Uh, I'm going to read out the tweet and you're going to tell me... Hang on, I just want to challenge this. A totally (laughs) original idea that was at the Edinburgh We Love TV quiz the other night, Matt Hill. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to distance myself from this completely in the same way that uh, the Vote Leave guys are distancing distancing themselves from that ITV statement. So, the first tweet is from BuzzFeed Scott Bryan. Uh, They've just confirmed that Maria McCurlin, who was the voiceover in the original show, will return to voice the special. The special of what, though? Oh, you're a trash, oh, yes. Yeah. No, no, I'm looking forward to name. this. 
Oh, my name. I don't, <laughs> Maggie Brown. <laughs> I was so excited about this. I think it's a brilliant, a genius idea, isn't it? Mm. Sex up Brexit with Euro trash. I think Perfect. it's one, only one off, though. I mean, it would be lovely if it was running all the way through. Well, you never know. Sure See how it goes. They might bring it I back. I love this retro idea because sometimes they work really well. It's Euro trash, which is returning to Channel 4. Uh, for an hour-long special in the e- in the run-up to the EU yeah, referendum. Yeah, bring it on, Channel 4. Um, <laughs> our second tweet is from Alex Connock, uh, who is the MD of Shine North. Good news that BBC Three commissioning is moving out of London, and good for... Birmingham. Lisa, Birmingham. <laughs> <laughs> is your name Birmingham? <laughs> <laughs> I love Birmingham. I've even renamed myself. <laughs> OK, it's that city again. The decision has been trumpeted by the Birmingham Mail, who have campaigned for the BBC to move more resources to the city. And our final tweet uh, from News UK. Don't miss tomorrow's special 10,000th edition. Lisa, Sunday Sunday Times. Times. (laughs) I think Lisa just pipped you. Yes, you're right, the Sunday Times, uh, and no mean feat, 10,000 editions. It is, it's great. And so many innovations in the 60s when you look back on it, it's amazing. So, I think that means Lisa's our winner. That's right. Ooh, what do I As, get? What do I expect? <laughs> and what's my prize? You get the accolade of our listeners. Oh. <laughs> Even have a buzzer this time. Okay, uh, that's our show for today. My thanks to Maggie Brown and Lisa Campbell. If you're new to this show, welcome. Make a media podcast-shaped hole in your life that we can fill every fortnight. Uh, You can subscribe via iTunes for iPhone or Pocket Casts on Android phones or a whole number of other podcatchers. Subscribing means you never miss an episode, so go do it now. Thanks to Harry Leake, the Ensign Media Company, Scott Lebry and Max Christian for adding to our list of monthly subscribers. We still need more of you if this programme is going to be around long term. Whether you're APs, prop buyers, the talent, join us. Keep us on air, keep us regular. Just go to themediapodcast.com forward slash dedicate. It takes one minute, do it now. My name is Jake Cantor. The producer was Matt Hill. The Media Podcast is a PPM production. Until next time, goodbye. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.